Before we dive in, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, God. It truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, God, we know that you desire to speak to us, that you are speaking today. Uh, so we, we just simply say that we, as your servants, are listening. And uh, we're ready to receive what you have for us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, well, with it being summer, uh, maybe like you, we've been in our household kind of planning out our summer calendar and schedule and what vacations we're going to take. And for clarity, um, and if you're a parent in the room, you feel this weight. Uh, vacation with children is what I call a working vacation. Anyone feel me, right? Anybody else, your kids get up earlier on vacation? Come on. I'm like, what is this nonsense? Go to bed. We're on vacation. But they're like, it's like 6 a.m. and they're up and uh, need a vacation for the vacation. So my definition of a true and pure vacation is without children. And all the parents said, amen. amen. It's when I can wake up. I have no mouth to feed. That's how I define it. If I have to feed no one else but myself, that's a win. If I don't have to put anybody else to bed but myself, that's vacation. Uh, so Christine and I have been talking about our, we usually get away for a little less than a week every year during the summertime, just her and I. And we were planning that. And where we've been oftentimes, we often have gone to uh, a Caribbean island. Uh, for several times we've gone to the Dominican Republic. And uh, there's a space there that we, we enjoy going to. And I remember the first time I ever went to the Dominican Republic. And like, like many of you, you know, weeks leading up to a vacation, um, you feel like you're a weather reporter. Anybody else? You, like, check the weather. You're, like, studying radar maps, even though you have no idea what you're looking at. Like, oh, okay, I think it's going to rain this day. And it said it was going to rain every day I was, we were there. And I thought, this is going to be terrible. Like, we're going to be in a tropical paradise, like, watching... TV. Like, it's going to be terrible. But little did I know, it rains most days of the year there, but the storms come in and then they go out. That, and it's actually rather welcomed because, you know, during the day it's like 98 degrees and 100% humidity, and then the storm cools it down to like 89 degrees and 90% humidity, so it becomes actually more bearable. And everyone there kind of knows. So when we now visit, and it rains almost every day. We know it's going to come and it's going to go. And in fact, it's, it's going to be somewhat welcomed. And I thought about that because here's the reality of life. That storms, in the same way they're inevitable in the islands, they're inevitable in life as well. Have you realized this? Uh, storms in life come. Hardships come. Difficulties come. Anxieties Come, conflict in relationships, come. Months where maybe you have more month than money, come. Like, like, you, like life happens. Anybody else, you realize this yet, you know? Uh, when you, when you, as you spend more time in life, you realize that, that hardships. It's almost like this. Here's what I know, speaking right now to those here in the room and those online. You are probably either in a storm, just came out of a storm, or I hate to break it to you, preparing to go into a storm. Because life is full of storms, right? So I want to talk today about how do we navigate the storms of life? How do we navigate when there's conflict in a relationship? How do you navigate when you have some financial stress? How do you navigate when you have mental health concerns? How do you, how do you navigate when your child is struggling in school? How do you navigate when you have an illness or chronic pain you're dealing with? How do you navigate the storms of life? And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 4. 
fact, this passage of Scripture is listed in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to look at Mark's account. And it's an account of where Jesus calms a storm. And it's a profound account for many reasons, and I'm going I'm to speak to those. Um, but what happened, if you have your Bibles, Mark 4, 35 is where we'll be. Jesus had just kind of gotten uh, through. He's been, he's been teaching um, some parables, sort of teaching his disciples. And then the scripture says this in verse 35. The day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Anybody else, it just ministers to you that Jesus took naps too? Come on, somebody. That's the word of the Lord for someone. Uh, you know, I read this and I think to myself, maybe Jesus is an introvert because he just got done ministering to all these people and he's like, I'm exhausted. Where are my introverts at? Come on, somebody. Like after church, you take a nap, right? <laughs> Extroverts, you're like, this is just warming you up right now. You're like, I'm ready to go now. So he's, he's, he's taking a nap. But like, Don't you care? He got up. He rebuked the wind. Had said to the waves. He had sleep in his eyes, rubbed his eyes. Quiet. <laughs> Be still. When the wind died down, it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you, do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this man? I want to share with you three applications from this passage. First, I want to say this kind of a, a sermon in a sentence of, of what we're going to talk about today in we're going to see Jesus calm this storm, calm the chaos uh, of the storm. But here's the truth for all of our lives, is that we can experience peace even in the midst of chaos because of God's supernatural power. And we're going to see it here in this situation where Jesus calms this storm, and it's profound for a number of reasons. Uh, but here's the first point, if you're taking notes, is how do we experience this peace, this power is we have to look to God when life gets hard. We have to look to God when life gets hard. It's profound as I read this passage. You know, Jesus, uh, what's unique about this passage, some say this, that um, this passage demonstrates Jesus' both humanity and deity. His humanity, they took a nap. He needed sleep. But then his deity... Because it was believed in the Old Testament that only God could actually quiet storms. In fact, up until this moment, many kind of believe that the, that the disciples, there were some disciples still like kind of up in the air. Is he a son of God or is he not? But that this moment of him calming the storm was almost proof he is God. Because only God, it was believed, could calm the storm. But Jesus being fully God, he is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning. So he led them into the storm, or led them into the Sea of Galilee where they were, knowing that there was going to be a storm. And maybe this messes with some of your theology or mindset about God. Because sometimes if we're not careful, we can think to ourselves that we are in a storm in life because I've been disobedient. Like I'm facing a storm in my marriage because I got married too young. I'm facing storm right now because I moved to D.C. Maybe I shouldn't have moved here for school or for work. 
Or I'm facing a storm in this job because I should have stayed where I was. May I submit to you, perhaps you're facing a storm because you're exactly where God wants you to be. Because you have an enemy of your soul. And all throughout the scripture, can I just help you out to give you clear Bible? God never promised that he would prevent storms in your life. Never. Ever. <laughs> so this belief that somehow, and let me just say this, that, that oftentimes, listen, when you step out in obedience to God's call, that, that there's no promise of a pain-free, problem-free life. And sometimes if we're not careful in our Western culture where we kind of have an unspoken idol of comfort, that sometimes, listen, following Christ, embracing the call of God on your life will call you to be uncomfortable, will call you to experience pain, will cause you to face hardship. Just think of the scripture. God led Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into fire. God led Daniel into a lion's den. The apostle Peter, who we elevate and love, your man was crucified upside down. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> listen, we read to listen, let me just say this is this is important. Write this down. We falsely define blessed in our Western culture as pain-free and comfort. Oh, I'm blessed. Life's good. Maybe you're not blessed, maybe you've not been obedient. God called you to lay that comfort down years ago, but you said no because you like the job you're in. And it's comfortable. But I got good benefits, Pastor. It's consistent, Pastor. I know what to expect, Pastor. I got to take care of my family, Pastor. God cares more about your soul than he does about your comfort. And sometimes he will call you to do things that are hard, that are painful, that are difficult. Because, catch this, you're, you're going to see a second. There's actually something more profound that God produces in hard times than your comfort. The words of James, the brother of Jesus. He said this. I think the screen says James 2, but it's actually, I think, James 1. That was a mistype on my end. In James 1, verse 2, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Let me pause right there. He wrote this letter to a group of people who were being socially outcast and economically oppressed. In other words, they couldn't get certain jobs because they professed Christ. And he's saying, consider it great joy. You got fired. I'd be like, James, you can take that joy and shove it, right? Come on, somebody. <laughs> For you know that when the faith is tested, don't put that on the, on the message online, okay? Take that out. <laughs> Your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, watch this, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. God is more concerned with your completeness than your comfort. That, that Listen, you know this. Their character does not develop on the mountaintops of life. When's the last time you met somebody and they said, man, my life has been so great, God's been developing humility in me. No, humility's developed in the valley. 
It's developed in the hardship. And here's why this is so important. Catch this. Because God exalts the humble and he opposes the proud. So sometimes he allows you to walk through valley and hardship and difficulty and pain to develop humility on the inside of you. Because he cannot exalt you until humility is inside of you. But as long as there is pride on you, he will oppose you because he loves you. So therefore, sometimes he will allow you to be in pain and discomfort in hard times so that something of much greater value can be developed on the inside of you. He's far more concerned with what's happening in you than what's happening around you. So he'll allow you to walk through things. He'll allow you to go through things so that something can be developed. You know, in the world of psychology, there's a phrase they call post-traumatic growth. The mid-90s, Dr. Richard Tadashi and Dr. Lawrence Calhoun coined this term. And they coined it because they found that, that, that 70%, the research shows, 70% of people who walk through traumatic situations develop a gr- personal growth on the other side of it. There's a sense of resilience, some will call it, on the other side of it, 70%. Here's some examples of that. It's like when you walk through, for, I'll take an example, probably you've experienced this. Maybe you've experienced this personally or you've seen it. It's like when you lose a loved one to death, it makes you appreciate the loved ones you have even more. Or when you walk through pain or sickness, it makes you value your health even more. When you walk through a hard time, it makes you value purpose even more. They've actually found there's a number of things that happen when you go through trauma. They found it develops greater empathy in us. It develops a greater sense of altruism and generosity on the inside of us. We get a greater appreciation for our life when we walk through post-traumatic growth. There was some research done that looked at what are factors. It was a, it was a European journal, journal of Trauma and Disassociation in 21. They looked at what factors contribute to post-traumatic growth. And there are two I want to highlight because they're biblical. Uh, one they call is called positive reappraisal. Positive reappraisal. Here's what it is. Is you look for the good in the midst of the bad. So it's like you lose a parent, but then it, you say, well, I'm grateful that I still have my other parent. Maybe you have pain, but it makes you grateful for the fact that you don't have any sickness. Like it, it, all of a sudden it's sort of like you begin to see the good that's come through it. Maybe you lose that job, but it was that hardship that made you actually discover your real purpose in life. That all of a sudden you begin to see the good. Here's how I want to word it for you. Is look for the activity of God when life is hard. Because again, just because it's hard, it doesn't mean that God is absent. He actually may be very, very present. In fact, I believe he is. So look for the activity of God. Even ask God, God, what are you doing in this season that's so hard right now for me? What are you doing right now in the midst of my marriage where there's conflict? What are you doing right now in the midst of this season where I'm battling this sickness? What are you doing when I'm having this stressful season at work? How are you at work? Remember years ago I was in a a, a difficult season at work. And you ever had the season of your life where you felt like your prayer time was more complaining than praying. Come on. And that was me. And I was on this, this project that I was not, like, happy with. And I was just complaining to God about it one day. And I was working by myself. And there was one day where I was just like, come on, God, deliver me from this. Like, get me out of this. And I felt like 
the Holy Spirit, not audibly, but very strong in my heart. He said, Jeremy, you are in this because I'm developing humility in you. And I said, well, can we develop humility when things are good? Come on, somebody. (laughs) But listen, God is far more concerned about your soul than your comfort. He's far more concerned about what he's developing in you. And again, those character traits. Listen, our greatest growth comes from our greatest challenges. You don't grow in a classroom. I'm sorry, teachers. Listen, I love education, but you know this to be true. Like, classrooms do not produce growth. Pain does. This is hard for me to say as a preacher, but it's true. Growth does not happen when you hear a sermon. Growth happens when you go step out and live it in faith. The only growth you will experience from today's message is how well you live it. That's why we can look across this room, and all of us will live this out to varying degrees. That will determine the degree of growth that we experience in our life. It's not how much sermons we listen to. But let me say this. Sometimes you need less content and to embrace more of your calling. Like, you need to actually do the hard things. A lot of times they've actually found this to be true. Most often our problem is not that we don't know. It's that we don't do. We all know what to do for our health. But come on, somebody. (laughs) You see that cheesecake and you're like, forget that. Do a miracle, God. <laughs> you know you shouldn't have that fourth cup of coffee. But you're like, it's too good. Slow my heart down later, God. Right? The problem is not with knowing, it's with doing. The same applies, it applies to our health, our finances, all of it. Like they found all of life, even the future of your financial, financial health, is due to your habits because we know We shouldn't spend more than we make. But the average person does because it's our habits. The same applies spiritually. Like, it's not how much we know, it's how much we actually put into practice. So we got to look for God in the midst of the heart. And then here's the the most, the factor that contributes most to your post-traumatic growth is this. Is that you have social support. Here's how I want to say it. Is do not go through hard things alone. Don't go through hard things alone. In fact, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, known as the wisest man in the world, said this, two are better than one because they have a return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. I feel like I kind of witnessed this this week. I was walking my dog, Toby, and he stopped at this house we were at. And I thought to myself, why is he stopping? And then I noticed there was like a blue jay in this yard of this, of this house. And the blue jay was clearly injured. It was kind of like limping. And it could only fly about this high and then it had to come down. And then like this was all within the span of a minute. It was like watching a nature documentary before my eyes. All of a sudden these two larger blue jays swoop in. One blue jay is right next to the sick blue jay, the limping blue jay. And then the other one perches itself on top of the house. And it was like this larger blue jay is walking with the injured bird until the bird can get to this small tree to hop up on it so it can be safe. And the other blue jay was on the lookout. It was almost like they saw my dog who loves birds. Like if he would have been off his leash, he would have had a bird in his mouth. So I kept him on that leash. It's almost like they were watching out like to keep them safe. And I thought to myself, these blue jays are preaching to me. That when you go through life limping, 
because you're in a hard season. This is a word for somebody. You need to humble yourself enough to ask for help. That's sometimes how God humbles us, is we actually have to humble our pride, bury our pride, and say, I need help. We need other people around us who can encourage us, who can pray for us, who can speak life into us. But what also intrigues me about this passage is not only did God, did Jesus know, because he's all-knowing, but there's a high likelihood the disciples knew what they, were, what they were getting into. Because culturally speaking, contextually, that, that part of the Sea of Galilee, it was a five-mile stretch, that that was known for having ferocious storms. In fact, still today, it's the way that just the way that the surrounding areas are around it, like wind whips through there, waves form, it is known as having really bad storms. At that time, most Jewish people did not get into the water unless you were a fisherman because it was, they, they knew how bad the sea was. And it was also believed that there were evil spirits in the seas. And we're going to speak to that a little bit. So they, they didn't get in the water. So here's, here's, so these men got into the boat fully knowing there's a likelihood they could face a storm. Listen, sometimes God will call you to do hard things with eyes wide open. And here's what the enemy would love for you to do. He would love for you to see the hard and freeze in fear. And say, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that because if I do that, this is going to be hard. If I start that business, that means a season without a paycheck. If I, if I do this, if I get involved in counseling, that means I'm going to be confronted with my dysfunction. And that sometimes we don't step into certain things because we see the hard before us. And we're like, I'm good. <laughs> Here's my word for you. I'm going to give you a scripture, then we'll move to point two. So whatever God's calling you to do, do it afraid. You do it anyway. Hey, a storm might come. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to step out. Here's what Paul said to give you some encouragement. Acts 20. If you have your Bible, just highlight this. This is a powerful moment. Paul is being led to go to Jerusalem. And people are telling Paul, hey, Paul, don't go. They're going to kill you. On, on a side note, be careful that because people were trying to talk Paul out of going to Jerusalem on behalf of his comfort. But Paul had a call. And be careful of well-intentioned people who will tell you to stay in your conditioned, comfortable situation instead of saying yes to the call of God. That's why you need people around you who are full of faith. Who will say, hey, man, it might be terrible, but I'm in it with you. It might be hard. Let's go. You need some people who trust in God more than their conditions, who trust in God more than a paycheck, who trust in God more than comfort. Not everybody does, even some church people. If some people are honest, the Lord of their life is comfort. Is you need people around you who the Lord of their life is Jesus. And I'll say yes for any reason. This is Paul. Watch this. If this doesn't challenge you, it's going to challenge you. So he says this. Like, don't go to Jerusalem. Watch this. I love Paul. My man is so hard. I love it. <laughs> like, I get down with Paul. He says, I only know that in every city, 
Not some cities. Every city, every circumstance, every season, every month, every year, every moment. That the Holy Spirit warns me that blessings and comfort await me. That prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I consider my net worth worth nothing to me. I consider my comfort worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Can I tell you the greatest message you will ever preach is how you respond to adversity. It's one thing to say, thank you, Jesus, and things are good. It's a whole other thing to say, I follow you, Jesus, and life is hard. Because, listen, when people see you in the same stressful situation at work, but you have a peace that's beyond their comprehension, it gives testimony to the grace of God. When they see you walking through hell on earth, but you have joy on your face, they're going to wonder, where did you get that or what are you smoking? And you say, I am not high on anything but the Holy Ghost. The best high. You have to lean into God when life is hard. Here's number two. Number two, point two, is you have to win the war in the spiritual. What's intriguing is, you know, I told you that at that point in time, they believed there were evil spirits in the, in the sea. In fact, in Daniel 7, Daniel writes about beasts, monsters coming out of the sea. Now, you can say this. You can read that and think, well, that was back then. But now science, science is so advanced that, you know, we know what storm calls storms. But listen to this, though. Jesus talking to a wave. He says, quiet, be still. That word still means be muzzled. Why would you talk to a wave, be muzzled? There's a high likelihood he was actually talking to the forces of darkness. Quiet, be muzzled. Because everything must bow in the presence of Jesus. I think in our Western culture, our cognitive culture, which I love, I think we have a propensity to over-rationalize and under-spiritualize our problems. Like we know, we know almost too much to our own detriment. Oh, I got anxiety. I'll get counseling. I'll take this medication. Listen, get counseling and take Xanax, but pray to the Holy Ghost because he gives you a peace beyond all comprehension. Like see every specialist you can for your illness, but also petition the great physician. Like it's not either or. It's not like I just, listen, it's not the same. I believe in God. I don't believe in counseling. No, you need to get a counselor too. Okay, somebody. <laughs> They're going to help you. That anger. The Holy Ghost works through clinicians. The Holy Spirit works through doctors. Sometimes God's supernatural power does come through a medicine that God gave wisdom to somebody to create. But don't be so prideful that you will exhaust every natural means without going to your Father in heaven. That's not impressive. That's pride. 
It's both and. It's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do both. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, the Apostle Paul. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. That your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is not your coworker. Your enemy is not your cranky neighbor. He says, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. Against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That there is, in this series Supernatural, I want to be clear. There is the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of light. But there is the kingdom of darkness and the forces of hell as well. Both are real. They're as real as you and I talking right now. They're as real as a seat you're sitting in. They're as real as the blood throwing through your veins. These are all real. You know, I uh, was reminded this week of a scene out of the first Spider-Man movie. And uh, I went back and I re-watched it. And and Peter Parker, um, who I mentioned last week, unimpressive. uh, Probably shouldn't say that, but, you know, I'm sorry if you're watching Peter. Um, But... He, uh, he had just gotten his spider powers. He's at school. He's a high schooler. And all of a sudden, this bully, it's like tall. This guy has like six inches on him. This guy's bicep thrown through his shirt. He's a muscular guy, tall guy, stronger guy naturally. But Peter just got his power. So Peter's senses are heightened. So he like sees the guy coming. And he like sees the fist like in slow motion coming to hit him in his locker. So he moves out of the way. And then he continues to dodge every punch. And then he sets himself. He punches the guy, and the guy flies across the room. The guy was stronger, much stronger, naturally. But Peter had a supernatural power. And sometimes, I've seen Christians do this. We are fighting a spiritual war with natural means only. And you are impressive, but the forces of darkness are greater than our natural power. Here's how you might know that what you're dealing with is more than a natural thing. If you have an issue in your life that you're trying all the natural means and you've been trying for a while, but you can't seem to get free. You've been trying, you're taking medication, you're seeing two therapists, but you've been struggling with anxiety for years. May I submit to you, you may need to petition your Father in heaven who can give you a peace beyond all comprehension. That if you have an addiction, that you've, you've tried, you've, got, you've sought help, you sought counsel. You need the one that John 8, 36 says who the Son sets free is free indeed. That if you have an illness that you've been battling with, I'm just saying, I'm not saying it's either or. I'm saying it's both and. That you do the natural, but you trust God for the super natural. I love what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to get practical. How, how do we fight the spiritual battle? He says, never stop praying. See a counselor for your depression, but never stop praying. See all the specialists you can for that chronic illness, but never stop praying. Get all of the help You can for your conflict in your marriage, but never stop praying. Go to all the networking events and get all the education you can for your job, but never stop praying. 
you do your best, but you trust God with the rest. Because he can do things that you could never do, that no doctor could ever do, that no clinician could ever do, that no business person could ever do, that no teacher could ever do on their very best day. It says nothing about them. It says everything about him. And we trust God. It's a both and. Never stop praying. In verse 38, I love this because the disciples, they woke him. They're freaking out. They're like, don't you care about us? I thought to myself, be careful that you do not form your expectation of God based upon how you feel in the moment. That sometimes if we're honest, we, we put the filter of our emotions over God. And we actually make things a much bigger deal than it really is. They mistook, or it was mistaken that they took his stillness as silence. Don't you care about us, God? We're freaking out here. <laughs> Storm. May I submit to you, Jesus was communicating. He was communicating with his stillness that I have this completely under control. You never see Jesus anxious once. You never see him freaking out once. Why? Because he understood this is not a storm you have to fear. And, and one of the things that we have to do when we are in a storm is still ourselves enough to hear from God because he is speaking. The question is, are we listening? You know, in Exodus 14, what's profound is the, the context of the scripture the Israelites are being chased by the Egyptians. The Red Sea is parted, so they're, they just got free from slavery. And the Egyptians are kind of, kind of coming against them. They're, like, they're bearing down on them. They're like freaking out. They're like, Moses, you should have left us there. We were better enslaved. I love what Moses says. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. That word, still, that word still is the word shh. You only need to be quiet. Sometimes the reason we cannot hear words of faith is because fear is too loud in our life. Our emotions are too loud and it drowns out the spirit. He says you need to still yourself. He says this while they're in the middle of the Red Sea being chased by Egyptians. But he says, God will fight for you. I was reminded this week, I was at a coffee shop and uh, I had a Zoom call. And I, I just signed on a Zoom call and it had just started. But the coffee shop I was in had a really great playlist. It was like 90s hip hop. Come on, back when hip hop was good. And come on, they're, they're playing a little bit naughty by nature. Come on, somebody. Because we're naughty by nature, not because we hate you, we hate you. Little hip-hop parade. Ho, come on, somebody. Hey, ho. It was good back in the day. Y'all need to go back and listen to that 90s hip-hop. Had a little Lauryn Hill playing. So I was like, I was a terrible participant in the meeting. Because while the person was talking, I was like, hey, oh. 
So I realized I needed to leave and go outside so I could hear and participate. That sometimes, listen, you have to quiet yourself enough to hear God. So taking moments where you quiet yourself enough, you take those moments in the morning where you just, even tomorrow morning, you get up a little bit earlier, have your Bible and a journal, and be ready to hear from God. Because what you need more, listen, what your marriage needs more than a great vacation together is a word from God. What you need more for your career than the, than the right networking event or the right connection is you need a word from God. That what you need for the illness you're battling is that you need a word from God. There's been so many times where I have a word from God has kept me through a season. It's kept me stable in a storm. What does Hebrews remind us? That he is an anchor for our soul. Jesus is his word became flesh. It's an anchor for our soul. So when you're walking through a storm, you have a word. I love what Corey Ten Boom says. Let God's promises shine on your problems. Point three, my final point, is you have to leave room for God to exceed your expectations. You have to leave room. So in my study, the presumption is this, that these disciples, by waking up Jesus, were not waking him up to calm the storm. They were waking him up to calm their nerves. They were waking him up to steer us out of the storm. Like, you got us into this? Get us out of it. And Jesus did not meet their expectation. He did not do what they wanted him to do. He didn't exceed their expectation. Or he didn't meet their, he exceeded their expectation. He didn't calm their nerves. He calmed the storm. He didn't steer them away from the storm. He stopped the storm. And that sometimes in life, if we're not careful, we can battle disappointment because God didn't meet our expectations. But give God enough time and he will exceed your expectations. You've experienced this, haven't you? you most of us have, probably to some degree. Have you ever prayed for a job that you didn't get, but then six months later, you got promoted into a job that's even better? Oh, come on. You prayed that that person was going to be the one that you were dating in college or high school. And then you saw them at the reunion. <laughs> and you said, thank you, Jesus. You did not hear my prayers in heaven. You know, before I, before I met Christina, I was in a relationship uh, with someone. And I was praying for, I was like, God, I'm, I'm praying for this to be, be it. I was praying, believing God. And apparently, um, this woman didn't hear my prayers <laughs> because she ended the relationship. And I was disappointed. I was, like, bummed for, like, a season. I was like, God, like, I thought that was it. thought you were going to. Then I met Christina, and uh, you know, you know when you're maybe if you're single, maybe you have this in your mind. If you're married, maybe you have this in your mind before you got married. But you know, you have in your mind whether it's not it's a, it's a real list or not. You have in your mind what you think your spouse will be like, right? And I never envisioned that I would marry a woman with red hair. 
But I thank God for her red hair. And, and here's the reality. And I'm not, I'm not speaking flattery or over-exaggerating. Um, when I met Christina, God didn't meet my expectation. He exceeded my expectation. Like her, her, her generosity exceeded my expectation. Her kindness exceeded my expectation. Her beauty exceeded my expectation. Her passion for God exceeded my expectation. I don't I mean this. I told her this first service. She still exceeds my expectation today. And here's what I want to say. This is for somebody. Because you're disappointed. Because God didn't meet your expectation. Just wait on him. He works all things together for good. Let me give you 1 Corinthians 2.9. Paul writes this. What no eye has seen. What no ear has heard. What no mind has imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him. That you haven't seen it yet. You haven't heard it yet. Your mind in your brilliance can't conceive it yet. May I submit to you. When what comes that exceeds your expectation comes before you, you will not see it at first because your mind couldn't fathom it. So oftentimes when God exceeds our expectations, we don't see it at first. Until over the course of time we realize, God, you are better than I expected. He doesn't just want to calm your nerves. He wants to calm the storm. He wants to exceed your expectations. And then in verse 40 of Mark 4, he says to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He says they were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the winds and waves obey him? That word terrified means they were in awe. Again, to go back to my earlier comment, it was believed only God in the Old Testament had authority over the wind and the waves. So it is written you know, those who study the text for a living, they, they say that for some of the disciples, this was the first time they realized he is the son of God. He is who he said he was. Because only God can calm the wind and the waves, and he did. Only God has that level of authority, and he does. So they weren't all. They weren't all of them. But Jesus, in this moment, he says to them, like, why are you still afraid? Like, well, and here's what, here's what his concern was, because Jesus is all-knowing. This isn't going to be your last storm. Remember I told you, the apostle Peter was crucified upside down. Many of them were persecuted and murdered for their faith. So he knew hard times are coming. And what he knew was, he said, I just gave you by calming the storm a, a circumstantial peace. But it's only through faith in me that you can have a lasting peace. So he's like, where's your faith? Like, I need you guys to have faith. So things, when they get hard, you still have peace. He, you know, he said in John 14, the peace I give is not peace that the world can give. It's not peace that your ideal career can give. It's not peace that your doctor saying there's no more cancer cells can give. It's not peace a fully funded 401k can give. It's not peace that medical doctorate can give. It's not peace that a spouse can give. Not peace that a child can give. Those are all temporary and may I say faulty forms 
peace. He said, but I give a different peace. I give a peace that you can have in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a downturn, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of facing death, in the midst of a breakup, in the midst of a hard time. That's the peace. But it requires faith. He said in John 16, 33, he says, I've told you all these things. I've taught you these things. I've showed you these things so that in me you may have the peace. In this world you'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Last week on May 19th, in my opinion, the spiritual giant of our generation passed at the age of 72. Dr. Tim Keller. Uh, he was a pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City for probably as what he's most known for, in addition to authoring many books. A few that personally, um, it changed my life. Um, some of his sermons greatly influenced me. I took some, taken some courses that he taught that influenced me. And he passed away last Friday of a form of cancer. And his children who were with him, the day before he passed, they, they shared a few things that Tim said. And, and I think they're profound, and I think it speaks to the power of the peace that God can give us. Here's what he said the day before he passed. I'm thankful for all the people who prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family who loves me. He says, I'm thankful for the time God has given me but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. Moments before he passed, he told his kids, there is absolutely no downside to me leaving this earth. Here is a man, arguably at 72, he went too soon, he would say. He was young. Facing death unshakable peace. I'm ready to see Jesus. Reminds me of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, you have no sting. Sickness, you have no sting. Financial hardship, you have no sting. Anxiety, you have no sting. Depression, you have no sting. Addiction, you have no sting. Grief, you have no sting. Loss, you have no sting. The stinger has been removed by crucified and resurrected Jesus. So he's saying, where is your faith? That's the peace. That's the peace. We're going to believe God to calm our storms. But even more so, church, you can go storm after storm, sickness, hardship, downturn, grief, anxiety, addiction, depression, anger, death. Still have peace. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. Not a pain-free, comfortable life, but a life that even in the midst of chaos... I'm at peace. I have a peace that's beyond comprehension. As Paul wrote, he said in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, He says, outwardly I'm wasting away, but inwardly I'm renewed daily. So I fix my eyes, 
Not on that which is seen, but on that which is unseen. That which is eternal. I want to pray for you. Can you bow your heads with me?